Welcome to Emotional Sobriety. How's everybody doing this morning? How are you hanging in there? I'm disappointed. I just found out that the Super Bowl is not today um, and it's next week. And so uh, I have I have some some time on my hands. Do you really look forward to that every year? The, oh, I'm, God, not, I'm yeah. not a sports guy. Oh, yeah. Super Bowl. Uh-huh. Love it. I, I actually, I'm not a baseball guy, but I, but I, but I, I'm an, and I found I'm not the only one who does this with baseball. I'm like a, I'm like a, a, a September, October fan That's because me. there's, there's too much baseball. There's so many games. There's too much baseball uh, to, to watch. So I just, I just see who's, who's still, still standing in September and October and then, and decide who I'm going to root for in the world series. I love watching the world series. I do too. I do. I do the same thing. I do that. Sometimes I do it with the NBA too, not as religiously, but I, I'm in the same, but for football, I get more caught in the season because it is a limited number of games. Yep. And you know, I, 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 I grew up in Chicago. We were big bears fans, everybody. Well, yeah. th there's that, but th th that's where you can also, you can, this is family of origin work. We, we're watch us make a segue into, into therapy. It's like, I grew up in, why do I, why do I, why am I an NFL guy? Well, because I grew up in an NFL family, you know, we, we worshiped, we didn't, and I grew up in Texas, so we didn't just, we weren't fans. We worshiped the Cowboys, Oh, that's right. you know, you know, and of course we also later, we had the Oilers that became the Titans. So I ended up uh, inheriting them over here in Tennessee, but, but uh, you know, and I'm not very much of a college uh, uh, football watcher. It's, it's like, but, but I know other people who do, but if you just check back, that's where they come from. It's like, we just, it's one of those things that we, we just sometimes think we're making decisions about things in life. And we're not, we're, we're just doing what is no, normal, natural, what we've grown up with. Yeah, it's it's the trance that we get put in, right? That's right. That's and it's right. not that that's bad. I mean, listen, we had a lot of good time. I enjoyed hating the Cowboys. Oh yeah, I'm I'm enjoying the that Rogers now. Callback days. I mean, <laughs> oh, my we God. loved Roger. You know, uh, I mean. I mean, you, Mike, couldn't, you couldn't top Dandy Don, though. I mean, Don Meredith. I mean, it's, oh, it's yeah. like he's so long ago, people hardly even mention him anymore. But, I, but I'm going like, no, no. But yeah. Meredith and, and Craig Morton are, are two of my, my favorite. They were my heroes as a kid. Yeah, that's right. They and they just were they were America's team, man. They were so they had they what the decades from what the 60s and 70s. They dominated. Yeah, 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 yeah I think so. It's like um it was, uh, but you think about the America's team thing. That's just good marketing. Yeah, I mean, somebody somebody came up with that. That, that you know, that's that, that's in the back rooms where they're, where they're marketing things and going like, okay, let's do this. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. But yep. they they were they were they've been a phenomenal football team. They really have. It's been fun. I was just going to jump in because uh, I'm excited about the theme you guys suggested for the episode today: uh, radical honesty. Because um, it flies in the face of so much of my lived experience, I was like radically mm -hmm. dishonest, I suppose. And uh, I living living a double life, and you know, um, just kind of hiding all these like behaviors, and uh, um, you know, really like feeling inauthentic in every uh, human interaction I was having. That's uh, shifted a lot over the last few years, but man, I, I have a lot of ways to go with that, I think. Um, how do you guys come to it at this? Well, uh, point? I, I think, first of all, Patrick, let's just acknowledge what you just said here is that living a life of radical dishonesty, I think I can identify with that, especially, you know, after coming to the program, then that my consciousness started to shift. But before, you know, coming to the program, 
you know, there was this public persona, right? This, mm-hmm. this, this social mm-hmm. self, so social image that I put out. And then there was a very private image that was very different than the public image. And like you, the incongruence between the two was huge. I wasn't the same person that I put out there, right? That I think I had to be to get people to like me, to be able to be accepted in the world, to belong, to be loved, all of that other stuff. And and so there was this deep sense of, if you really knew who I am, you wouldn't like me, you wouldn't love me, you wouldn't want me to, to be around, right? That kind of a thing. And so it was always living with this dread of being found out to be this phony because I was such a big phony. So I right. totally relate to that, man. And I think that that split is common. Yeah, it's it's the the um, yeah. And I, I, actually, I, I was thinking about the Thursday night group, too. I think one of the things I was talking about the other night was that what I call the behavioral value split where your, where your expressed values and your behavioral values are, are very, very different. And, and addiction is caused by addiction, but, but it's like, uh, but it's caused by lots of things. I mean, you know, this is not just, you don't have to be a substance addict to, to have that. This is, this is really truly a way of looking at, at the, 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 where emotional sobriety is needed is where, because that's to me, to me, bringing those two together, my, my behavioral values with my express values, uh, is it's one of one, if we were going to make a list right now of, of just, just things that are, are, I don't know if they're their definitions, but at least characteristics of emotional sobriety, that would be at the top of the list, you know, congruence. We've talked about congruence a lot. It's, it's, it's interesting you say that because when I was back in those days for me, um, you know, I, I, way down deep, there's no doubt unconscious, unconsciously, I had the exact same thing where it's like, you know, I'm, I'm a piece of shit. And, and, uh, I, I was, I was yet to discover, you know, consciously my should monster and, and, and basically my defense system during my drinking days was I really bought my own press releases, man. It's like, I was, you know, I, I, you know, I, I thought, I thought I was, it's amazing to me. I, you know, and I was, and I was for the most part of my career, I, unlike you, you, you started your career in, in addiction work because you were a recovering addict. I, I, I didn't, I, you know, I was, I was a, a drink, drink and using uh, person who was uh, working in addiction programs and uh, d- later developing programs and, and was actually the, the clinical director of a treatment program when my wife um, suggested that I, um, and I say suggested, she didn't use that, uh, that I stopped, that I, well, basically she said, you get, you get into recovery right now or move out tomorrow. Uh, so that, that was her suggestion. And um, it's, it's, like so all of a sudden in one fell swoop that incongruence was just dropped into my lap both both personally and in my career yeah painful i I, you know um i find that the idea of radical honesty is met with skepticism sometimes ridicule um because and and the way that i um the way that i respond to that is i think of the idea of radical honesty, similarly to emotional sobriety, and that it's it's something that we're always moving towards, but there's always a tendency to kind of slip into a kind of false self, or you know, it's more of kind of like it's something that needs to be massaged through a life. What do you guys think about that? 
Well, let's let's define radical honesty, because I, I, you know, one of the things I'm a big believer in is is, is you know when there's differences, or you say when somebody is against something, or or they they criticize it, one of the first things to do anytime is is to check check your terms and find out are we talking about the same? Because so many arguments people have in general are are you know I mean how many times Alan have you ever been in a session with a couple and you're sitting there going like these people don't actually disagree about what they're talking about you know they're just using different words for it you know and 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 it's it's not often i could just use my english major to help somebody heal a piece of their relationship but a lot of times it is true and radical honesty is that that term is scary that is going to bring up resistance in people. So what? And I don't know. I don't. I don't know that I have a definition for radical honesty. I. I, I mean, I have a sense of what I believe it is and what I how I think I practice it. But I don't know if it's the same as your your guys. So let's each define well, think, that. So what I would say is, first of all, the kind of honesty, radical honesty, we're talking about, begins with self honesty. Yes. It's not an honesty, you know, a lot of people think of honesty is in relationship to others. Well, listen, that's important, but I can't be radically honest with you mm -hmm. if I have no sense of what's going on with me. Right. So knowing who I am and what's going on and having some insight into my basic nature becomes such an important part of being radically honest. You know, I think we could tie this into what's happening on Thursday nights. And by the way, you know, at the end of this uh, podcast today, Patrick will will um, give you guys the Zoom code for the Thursday night meeting and the password. If you haven't been attending that, my goodness, the discussion now, the workshop has changed so that we're we're now walking through the 12 steps and talking about authentic honesty uh, or what we're calling, you know, authentic self-esteem, which is really grounded in humility, you know, and authenticity, right? And and we've been going through the 12 steps. And the way we're doing it is that Tom Rutledge joins me, my 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 colleague here in the in the podcast, but we're also joined by our good friend and colleague Roger Andes and Herb Kagan. And we're having these to me incredibly stimulating and penetrating discussions about the steps and self-esteem and emotional sobriety. And you know, Patrick is kind enough to donate his time to create video archives and um and those are also posted on a YouTube channel, and he'll give you that information so you guys can catch up if you choose to join it. But look, on a regular basis, we're getting between 150 and 200 people on Thursday nights, and the workshops become incredibly popular. And you did an amazing workshop a couple of weeks ago talking about step five. And for those of you that are not in AA, step five says we admit it to ourselves, to another human being and to God, the exact nature of our problems. And this comes after step four, which is making a searching and fearless moral inventory. And what you just said, take us right back to where you where you started, which is which is the, the one the one I overlooked for so long in step five is is admitted to ourselves. Yes. And that's the self-honesty. And yes. it's like, I love that, that I, I, I did not think to go. I, I, I mean, I believe that with, with all my heart, we kind of just put little parts of ourselves in, let some people know about this part. Some people know about this part, some, but, but, the, but what we really are afraid of deep down and very much unconsciously is for somebody to know all of us. Mm -hmm. 
Wow. That's, listen, so everybody hear what he's saying. And listen, the other the other thing, Tom, and I think you really, you know, see for, for your experience with this and my experience has been my ability to be honest with myself changes so much with time and circumstance. Yes. You know, the more mature I become, the more honest I get, the more the more I listen to my curiosity and delve into some of my experience and unpack it. I give you an example of it. Let's say Patrick does something, not that he ever would, because he's, but let's say Patrick does, and I'm mad at him. You know, I'm angry. So before honesty would have been to say, how, you know, what's going on, Patrick? How could you do that? You're really pissing me off. All right, now mm -hmm. just listen to that. Mm -hmm. It's a total externalization of my problems is like whatever mm -hmm. Patrick did is the reality is, is he shouldn't have done it. And that I'm have a right to be angry with him mm -hmm. because I don't even realize, first of all, if I'm angry, it means something's off with me. Right. So at that time, honesty might have meant sharing my feelings that I'm angry. Mm -hmm. That might have been what I thought was radical honesty at one point in time. I'm mm -hmm. pissed off at you. Mm -hmm. You know, how could you treat me that way? Or how could you do that? I thought our friendship meant more and all this other bullshit I would do. Right. I think of all that as bullshit right now. Some of you may not, but I well, do. but sharing that I feel angry. It can be a part of our honesty oh, and our emotional. Thing. But, but you, what you're, what you're describing is blaming just a, that yeah, reflex yeah, that we have to right. blame. So that's what I was going to say yeah, that there's yeah. a way I can talk about my anger. That's mm -hmm. radical honesty. Mm -hmm. Wow. I'm aware. So contrast this, mm -hmm. Patrick, how could you do that? I'm pissed off at you versus right. Mm -hmm. Wow, I'm aware that all of a sudden I started to feel a lot of anger. I wonder yeah. what's going on with me that I'm feeling that way. Mm -hmm. Now, that to me today is radical honesty. Yeah. That's very different. And then I start to go, you know, I realize that you violated some rule I have. And mm -hmm. I've never even told you I have this rule. And yet mm -hmm. I expect you to live up to it. See, so now what I'm doing is I'm being honest with my experience, but I'm able to talk about my experience and own it 100%. I'm not saying there's a part of me that's responsible for my anger and you have a part. No, I'm 100% responsible for the feeling I'm experiencing and I'm 100% responsible for how I express it. Right, right. Those two things. And and that does not, and this is one of the things I'm all, I always want people to know, that does not mean in that situation that we we are, and hear me out through this, that we're letting Patrick off the hook. First of all, we don't have the authority to put him on a hook or let him off the hook, okay? that's That authority rests only with him in the work we're doing. It's like, however, by, by talking it through in that way, in that honest way, if Patrick is also in the process of recovery, he can also be, become curious and say, what was it, what was it that, from me that, that triggered that for you? And you say, oh, you da, 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 da. So he then has the opportunity to, to say, to go do his own work with that. And, and that might even include, you know, when we're wrong, promptly admit it kind of thing where he would say, you know what, I, I was that I. I wish I hadn't done that. And I, and I think, I think that was a, a mistake on my part too. So I apologize. Good. Fine. But it's like, it's that, that's just, that's just cleaning up the mess a little bit as you go. But ultimately 
it's you know god i have i you know i have clients who get so caught up into to what you know well they don't think of it this way but it's revenge thinking it's like i got to get this person back and i've got to get them to understand you know what they've done to me how they've hurt me it's like it's like you know well could you explain a, a bit about like how does this process like how can it be freeing? Like, what is the liberate liberatory um, quality of it? I'm I'm not so much stumped by your question. I guess I am being stumped by your question. It's it's nice to have somebody to blame. You know. Well, you mean why do we do? Why do we externalize and blame people? Is that's maybe a different question? Maybe. Oh, yeah. is, that, is that what you're asking? Yeah. Are you yeah, asking what? what he's asking? What is okay. the benefit of blaming others? And the benefit of blaming others is I keep intact this idea that I don't have. I'm not the problem. Yeah. You see, there, there's a, there's a, a whole, you know, um, what would... Oh, the, there's lots of payoff there as, as long, yeah, as, long, I mean, as, long as you remain unconscious right. to your own process. One yeah. of, you know, one of the things we do, we, we, Alan and I do for a living, we do all, when we get together in groups like, like Thursday night, whatever, is is we we raise awareness for people and 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 where and awareness fucks everything up it's like it's like bringing up the lights it's like it's if you you know as an old alcoholic i'll use the the thing of have you ever been in your favorite dive bar at at, at the end of the night and they bring the lights up and you realize oh god this place is (laughs) this is horrible and it's like but you love it and as long as the lights are down but basically yeah, when you bring the lights up, then when Alan Alan has if he's working his program, then basically when he catches himself blaming you, that's when he that's when he pulls back and says, "Wait a minute, this is about my own expectation." Well, can and I- a lot of times you have to interrupt yourself. First of all, I want people to know you don't yeah. just naturally go to this. I mean, don't you know? It's it's like we're we're, we're we have benefit of of just sitting here thinking this stuff through and giving examples. It's like it's it's not like the first thought that's going to show up in your mind is like you know what's wrong with me that I'm feeling this way. It's like you know you're, my reflexes are still the same. If Patrick does, if, if Patrick triggers my anger, is my first my first thought is fuck you, Patrick. It's like it's like it's what we do with it afterwards. Wait a minute. I need to come back and then to do that process you were talking about, Alan. Yeah. Yeah. See, what I was going to say, Patrick, when you said what you said, see, there's such a prohibition in our culture, right? That says, you know, the way Roger started out the discussion, his discussion of step five is who wants to be that honest? Why would somebody really want to get that honest with themselves and look at all the things that they've, the exact nature of their wrongs? Most people won't do that. And there's a reason for it, right? Is that it's like we protect this image that we have of ourselves, you know, you know, to sometimes to our a great detriment. You see it show up in relationships all the time. You know, Tom and I will see a couple just mm-hmm. continuing to quibble and bicker about an issue. And what's underneath it is trying to make the other person wrong so you can be right. Mm-hmm. And see, that's that's the stuff that that really keeps us from, you know, enriching our experience with each other. And you know what I mean? What I would call nourishing our experience with each other. Mm-hmm. So the prohibition against being honest is great. I get to walk around with the illusion. We mm-hmm. might even call it a delusion that delusion, the problem yeah. isn't me, it's you. And see, and, and, you know, you'll see that people do quibble about this all the time because there's something about that. If I'm honest about this, I'm taking something away from my self-esteem. 
Dr. Kempler used to have the best line in the world for that. When people would say, you know, God, if I if I admitted I was wrong, I really feel like I'm losing. He says, that's mm-hmm. a good thing to lose. That's a good, good, that's, that's yeah. a good form of defeat. He says, mm-hmm. you're defe- what you're giving up when you're losing that is this false pride that you've got to be somehow perfect. Mm-hmm. So what you're what you're catching with what you said, Patrick, is the shift in consciousness between you know between who i am and who i want to be and what is the possibility right because when we say who we want to be what we're talking about and we've we've kind of put it in this framework several times is recovering our humanity as you get honest with yourself a lot of times i mean very often i think people will when we start asking people about what they desire what they want what they had in mind earlier in their lives is you'll just see a blank look on their face sometimes and they'll say i don't even know what i want and and see that's radical honesty well that's 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 saying this is is yeah there's a blank space here i you know and and of course what you know if that feels scary you know, yeah. but, but, for, but, but as guides, what we, you and I will say to them is no, this is, this, you know, it's scary. Yes. But it's an opportunity. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, it, somebody I, sits with that. This has been my experience, Tom. Mm-hmm. So when somebody says that and it's genuine and they're not using that as an avoidance strategy, right? I don't know. Right. Or I'm afraid because I, I'll ask somebody if, if I suspect it, I'll say, mm-hmm. are you saying you don't know or that you're afraid to say what's going mm-hmm. on? Because that's a big difference between the two, right? Right. But yeah, I'll say something. I'll say, look, look right under the I don't know and tell me what's there. What's it's there. A, yeah. So, yeah. so if I say, all right, well, let's sit with that for a minute. That is the reality of your experience with yourself that you don't know yourself. Mm-hmm. What is it like to not know? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes somebody will start crying. Mm-hmm. God, I feel so disconnected. I feel so so much a robot in my life, an automaton, right? That mm-hmm. kind of a thing. And it touches a deep pain. And that pain begins the recovery of themselves because now they feel the alienation from who mm-hmm. they are. And they, now the the integration starts to occur by just yeah. owning what yeah. they're experiencing. You know, it's in in simple truth, but the first book I ever wrote, uh, I, I refer I refer to this as as divine emptiness, and yeah. and and the definition of divine emptiness in in what I what I put down was was these are the and you'll be you'll, there we'll meet those places all along. We you know we can still meet I can meet, we can still be having me in one of those tomorrow or later today. It's but divine emptiness to me is just defined as as a, a you know a time where we know so much more about who we are not than who we are. Yeah. And very often it's like what we're talking about is we know we know so much more about what we don't want than what we actually do want. And it's 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 it, and see, here's the thing. I have a friend who always says, well, is div- why is it divine? And he'll, def- he'll he says, I know why it's divine, because it scares the hell out of you. It's like, it's like, well, that's pretty clever. It's like but the, but the truth is, as human beings, you know, this is what I got from writing the book on fear, you know, just spending time with that subject. We, we fear uncertainty, openness, not knowing more than we fear anything else in the world. We will often opt for a negative certainty over an uncertainty. And so part of what we do is we, you know, it, it's a cor- kind of a corny line in our business, but we help people hold that space open. And just, and that's, that's what I love what you're saying. When you say just stop and be there with it. 
Yeah, stop and be there with it. And look, mm-hmm. but I, I want to go off of that. And then I want to say, I want to say something mm-hmm. that we're so complex too, because we want certainty, but we also want novelty. It's we're very mm-hmm. interesting beings. We're, we're, mm-hmm. it's really don't try to pigeonhole yourself because mm-hmm. you're, 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 there's many sides to you. We're just like, there's a committee. Mm-hmm. We talk about it all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. There's a guy in there that would love novelty and love to go on mm-hmm. an adventure mm-hmm. and stimulation. And there's another part that wants certainty that wants mm-hmm. ability that i mean so we're complex but i i want to go off of what you said about knowing saying you know what you don't want sometimes mm-hmm. is beginning to discover what you want very mm-hmm. important people don't mm-hmm. get think about development is one of the first words out of a child's mouth is what no that's right mm-hmm. how come because it's the only thing available to us at that time to differentiate us from mm-hmm. the other person. I'm not you. Yeah. I'm not you. And so the process of differentiation starts with a rejection of some information. Idea, yeah. Good. Yeah. Something like that. It's, it's mm-hmm. like your first breath. Remember I'll talk about all the time. Our first mm-hmm. breath is our first step towards differentiation. Mm-hmm. No is our first psychological step mm-hmm. towards differentiation. I don't want to eat right now. Mm-hmm. No. And the baby will just pull away from the nipple or a bottle mm-hmm. and say, no, 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 mm-hmm. I've had enough. I'm full. Right. Mm-hmm. That'll be the okay. first experience or to go hold the child. The child doesn't want to be held. How the parent meets that no mm-hmm. becomes very important because okay. if you meet that no, your child's no, and make them feel bad about saying that they don't want something, what do you think has been set in motion? Yeah. A denial of one's self, yeah, yeah, self, self rejection. It's like I, I don't, I you learn, I don't know, I don't know because because the authority here is telling me I'm wrong about that. You, that don't, have that con- you should, don't have the conscious thought, but that's just what I your body say is learning. No, to this thing, I should say yes, and that's so right. now we're thrown into this confusion. If I want to please this person, I've got to deny what I'm experiencing and accept their reality. Right. You know that's um at the core of. I mean, that's where I struggle with radical honesty, I think the most is just that fundamental. um, I don't want to hurt somebody by saying something true that would, uh, you know, that, yeah, my truth that might make them feel bad. That's, and that happens all over a lot of my relationships. And that came, came, so now you're understanding where that came from, right? It's how no is met by in your family. And how like it was met in my family that that you're supposed to cooperate and go along with. That's why I have so much trouble with our our school system the way it is. Who was it that wrote Animal Farm, Tom? Do you remember that? George book? George Orwell. Yeah. Oh my God, mm-hmm. what what a good guide for how do you develop an educational system that works mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. everyone. If you haven't read, what's it called? Animal At, Animal Farm. George Orwell. Yeah. It's a brilliant book about people, education, and I mean, yeah. it's an incredible, credible, what he uses the, the metaphor, right, of, of all mm-hmm. these animals going to school. Mm-hmm. And when the lesson's on flying, all of the flying creatures do wonderfully well. Mm-hmm. The bunny doesn't do too good flying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> good. 
neither neither does the pig mm-hmm. <laughs> or the dog or the cat mm-hmm. but when it comes to running the birds mm-hmm. are terrible at it right? <laughs> they can't trap like the, the four-legged creatures can. but his whole thing is is that we throw people into a classroom and expect and treating them like a, a homogenous thing, like they're all the same. Yeah. It was such a wonderful book. Man. Well, and and, and the best and, and inside that system, however, was I would say the best the best teachers I know, and it's not it's not necessarily an easy system for them to work in. But the best teachers I know do not do that. It's like right. I, I have a I you know I have I have a client who's a who's a, a teacher, very young ones, and and I think you know just listening to her story sometimes about her work, I just just have such admiration for what who she, what she deals with and who she deals with and and how she she how she respects those little ones yeah, that's you, know, right. you know if that's you're exactly. if you're a bunny i don't need you to fly that's that's a person who's mature and has has a consciousness that's differentiated see mm-hmm. if we go back to looking at orwell's idea what mm-hmm. he was capturing was in our society we want people to think one way and be one way because we think that's the way we're going to relate to people mm-hmm we think that that's the way that we're going to be connected. Like in a relationship, I was having, working with this one couple. The pressure they put on each other to think the same way was incredible. Mm-hmm. They leave no room for any differences. And what happens when you do that is you can't really have a deep intimacy. Because intimacy occurs by two people being different. Not by being the same. But by really, really connecting to who that person is not as a projection of what you want them to be so you feel comfortable right but to experience them as they are wow that's rare that is so- that's a that's a great way to put that too because i just think about this and i'm pretty sure this would apply to you and jess but i think about my wife Didi and myself and i thought wow if the if, if and and maybe maybe very likely you know in the past before lots of therapy we i was i was doing some of that is that that but i'm thinking wow if we have to think alike, not, not like just, we're not talking about content. We're talking about process. If we, if we have to think alike to be okay, it's like we're up shit Creek because we do not think alike. We do not, we do not have the same processing system. Uh, and one of the things I've come to, uh, I don't know if I've said it here or not, but it's like, talk about radical is I, is I, this, I've come to this in just the last few years, maybe the last couple of years is this wonderful insight and this wonderful awareness that I don't need Didi to change at all, at all for me to love her. You know, it's like, you know, I can have my preferences about this or that, whatever. I can be irritated about that. Okay. Whatever. But I put it in perspective. It's like that, those things, those things are not important. What's important is whether or not we love each other and, and, and that we were and in that love, love is respect. Demonstrated love is respect. It's See, like that, it's like yeah. right there, man, that respect of those differences and yeah. not demanding that that other person do things the way you think they should or how you want them to. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with asking for it. There's nothing wrong with me. Right. telling I'd really like this. But if I demand it, it's a whole different deal. Well, and going back to Patrick saying there's nothing wrong with, with somebody when we ask to say no. And it's in, I want to make this, I want to make this point for, for Patrick and any listener who's identified with this is, is this just a little semantic thing that has, that helped me a whole lot. I make a distinction in my head between hurt and harm. 
Okay. And because, because when I'm making a decision uh, about something, saying something that I need to say or doing something I need to do. And somebody says that I feel hurt by that. I, I look first to see if I've done something that is potentially harmful to them. Yeah. And if I have, if I have, that's when the 10th step goes into work, when we were wrong, promptly admit it. You know what? I did fuck that up and I apologize to you, but more often than not, what's happening is that, that you're getting bumped into something that you don't want because I made a decision that basically does that, but there's nothing wrong with my decision. And that means you can be hurt and I, and I don't have to feel guilty. I can feel like I have empathy. I can say, you know, that's where you really can say, you know, I'm sorry that you feel that feel that way. You know, it's like, and not, but I'm not really apologizing for what I did because I didn't do anything wrong. I just was myself. Such a great point. Yeah. But it helps me to know that, that, you know, my value system is such that when I discover, when I determine uh, that I actually have harmed somebody that's on me. You know, right. that's not like, that's not, that's not where, you know, that's not like, oh, well, that's, that's their, that's their karma. They've got to do it. And no, that, you know, well, they got to do whatever they're going to do with it, but I need to clean my side of the street. And if I've done something that is, that I, that I think is wrong to you, Alan, then I need to be, be able to make, make amends to that. That's yeah. right. Well, what you describe having attained in your relationship, that's a hell of a victory. You know, I hope that, uh, mm -hmm. take, take some time <laughs> to celebrate it's, that. I listen, it's a lot easier. Let me tell you, it's, I mean, it really is. I mean, it's like, just, I think about the, the, the amount of time spent obsessing about trying to figure things out or, or, or back in the days when we would do the endless arguments into the night, you know, it's, it's like, oh, exhausting. And it's, it's like, um, yeah, it's, and it's, it, and we can, we can keep experimenting with you, Patrick. Our, our experiment here is how much of this can we just pass on to you directly uh, and how much of it do you have to just get to be an old guy before you can do well, it? Well, hey, you know, yeah, give, give me some experience, strength, and hope. Uh, how, where does the radical honesty, like, where does, where is that the most challenging for you these days? With myself, with myself, mm -hmm. with myself is understanding. Like recently, you know, I, I think I mentioned to you guys before that I've, I've engaged in some personal therapy now for the last mm -hmm couple of years i think it's been mm -hmm. and and pretty frequently it's almost on a weekly basis and um and i've gotten so much out of it i mean she's very psychoanalytic so it's a very different kind of therapy than mm -hmm. i've been in but but yet she's also very she's she's one of the new psychoanalytic folks that's much more into the relational dynamics so she's mm -hmm. very present with me and which is just perfect for me i mean i feel so seen and and heard and supported and challenged at the same time. It's not like she puts up with my my bullshit because she doesn't. She calls me out, um, which I find of value too. I mean, uh, don't like it at times, but I find it of value. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things that I hadn't realized is how when my father died, and this is about the self-honesty now, how I withdrew to such a point where through my whole life, I've felt such a disconnection from people. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be connected. I did, I think that's been changing. I mean, I think it's evident in, you know, I, I really try to be in relationship to and create a community in my life today. My relationship with you, Tom, I think yeah, is a yeah, example of yeah. that. You know, Roger's always been in the inner circle, but he was the only one for a long time. Mm -hmm. But I've really opened myself up more. But it was 
starting with realizing how alone and lonely I felt for so long in my life. Mm -hmm. And being honest with that is just, I'd sit in the sessions with her and, and because I've cried a lot about it now, the pain is not as, as, as in my foreground or in the mm -hmm. foreground of my mm -hmm. consciousness, mm -hmm. but I would sob for 30 minutes at a mm -hmm. deep level in our mm -hmm. sessions, just feeling of how alone and lonely I was for so long mm -hmm. and wouldn't go share. I mean, look, my sponsor, Tom said, it took me 20 years. You guys met Tom. Mm -hmm. It took me 20 years before I talked to him about my experiences in Vietnam. 20 years. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's just a little bit of a window into mm -hmm. what you're asking, Patrick, in mm -hmm. terms of my ability to be honest with myself and that I really needed to be connected and wanted to be connected and, and didn't want to because I didn't want to get hurt again has been something that's been more and more revealing itself to me. I think that I like I like your response to that. And I think that because one of the things I thought about first and, and you kind of validated it for me is that, that and I'm not saying that there might be some some exceptions to this, but none come to mind right now is that once once. Yeah, once I can discover it for myself. I, I, you know, that's, this is part, and this is, this is part of just experience and being, having done this for so long is I, there really isn't anything that I have, I have a real difficult time sharing with other people. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, um, I don't, I don't feel threatened by that. I, I actually, that that's been reframed in my life to where the idea of, of, of sharing, you know, people compliment people on being vulnerable. You know, it's like, like, you go like, you know what? I mean, vulnerabilities, expressing vulnerable, especially from a vulnerable place is a strength. It's, it's not a weakness. And it's, uh, you know, I'll see you up on the comments a lot of times when one of us is talking about some of our own stuff, you know, that the, 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 they appreciate the vulnerability. And I, and I appreciate that, that to the degree that, that we're modeling something that they can do themselves, but it's not, it's like, it's, you know, and, and Patrick, I mean, you can speak to that too, because even on our podcast, you, you are regularly very vulnerable. Yeah. It's like, and I, and I, and I, my, my, my guess would be you could true false this one. And, and is, is that you, you understand that's a strength that you have developed. It's the thing I know I can bring. That's a value to listeners is my innate experience hearing Alan share that just now. Uh, I just, I really, I feel like I was able to understand the way that can grow a life, I think, mm -hmm. is very beautiful. Yeah, there you go. Well said, Patrick. I'll tell you, you know, we this emotional sobriety stuff. I'm doing some work at the Doylestown Tennis Club, uh, you know, as as they're they're calling me now, their sports psychologist. But but I'll tell you, you know, I gave a talk for the holiday um, classic um, workouts that they do, mm -hmm. clinics that they do, and mm -hmm. I, I give a ten minute little sports psychology talk in between. Mm -hmm the mm -hmm. drill section and then the live play. Right. Cool. And so about, you know, I get about 30, 40 of the, of the players. And the first talk I gave was alignment with reality. I wow. said, I said, if you come on this court and you are not aligned with the reality of what's going on, you are not going to play well. If you think of yourself that you can be Roger Federer out here, mm -hmm. you're going to be sorely disappointed. <laughs> deeply. Mm -hmm. I says, but even even at the lower level, even if you make a mistake and you get upset with yourself, I want you to think about what you're doing. You're expecting yourself not to make any mistakes. Mm -hmm. I said, that's not how we as human beings learn. We learn 
through what's called a series of successive approximations. Mm-hmm. You, you, you go out, you hit the ball once, you take the feedback, your brain processes a lot of this outside of your awareness. You're not realizing mm-hmm. all of the little adjustments that are taking place with the neurons firing and the synapses communicating to different parts of your brain so that the next time you hit the ball, you've processed that information. Now you're going to process more. The game of tennis. Well, I can't remember the author of that. You remember the guy's name who did it, Tom? Galloway, uh, Tim Galloway. Yeah, I yes. love that book. It was it was what he captured. You see, he talked yeah. about self one and self two. Yep. Self one was just stay out of the way. It'll 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 learn. As self two says, what's wrong with you? Why didn't right. you hit that ball right? I mean. It, it, so that was I, long before I ever thought about the should monster. That's what self two was, and 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 what you just I love what you just said that you just you you talked about it at the tennis club because because it's what you're doing is you're help you know uh, you know the old expression getting out of your own way. That's what you're doing, but you're actually helping them know how how to cooperate with the learning because because the critic breathing down your neck, you know, yeah. I mean, if you if you hand me a piece of paper and say write a paragraph about so and so, and then you look over my shoulder the whole time and just, don't even say anything but you just maybe make some noises or breathe you know like, uh, uh, uh. you know H- how hard is it going to be to write that fucking paragraph it's like it's like but if, but but if you just leave me alone and i'll write the paragraph i'll do it and what you're also talking about is just the, what we know neurologically is it's just repetition you can't learn anything without repeating it again and again and again and again. And that's what I always mean by practice makes practice. It's like, it's just a practice. Yeah. One of yeah. the things I do when I do teach, I don't teach that often on the court. The guy's trying to, mm-hmm. why don't you, why don't you spend some time now teaching? We'll hire you in a minute. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I've enjoying my practice still at some point I'll mm-hmm. do, I'll teach a few clinics there for them. Mm-hmm. But, but one of the things I do, if somebody's is somebody's struggling, I will have them make mistakes on purpose. I like it. Yeah. I'd say, I want you to hit this ball and I want you to hit it into the bottom of the net. Now I want you to hit it 20 feet long. Mm-hmm. I want you to go back and forth between the two. I just want you to mm-hmm. feel what that's like. Now try to go in the middle of that and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable what happens when people give themselves space to make the mistake you you create you actually literally quite literally you create a range you know for them to operate within i love that that's brilliant it's, i'll tell you man it's it instead of a play i mean i can't tell you how many pros will go out and if the person's making a mistake they keep trying to get them to do the right thing it's mm. not a good teaching method mm-hmm. it's not it builds pressure it they're builds, already they're already trying to do the right thing to do the right thing <laughs> Let them do the wrong thing a few times, get it out of their system, and then they can move towards the right thing. The gift of recovery and the gift of emotional sobriety is that we can learn from our experience. Mm-hmm. We can learn from our experience. And That's that- our job. That's our job to learn from our experience. Every day, get up and learn from your experience. Until next All time. Right. Go Chiefs. Tinge your life. Tinge your myth. Cultivate your narrative with whomever you're with Then with glass in hand and children on one knee Bring some stories, bring your stories back to me It ain't a crime to be a human Never be ashamed to be yourself 
Rest assured that whatever you're doing Will entertain me like nobody else So here's to us, my old friends Until it's time to drink the wine and break the bread again With glass in hand and children on one knee Bring some stories, bring your stories back to me